From Burlington, Vermont, welcome to Disaffected. This is the show where we talk about politics, culture, and relationships through a psychological lens. And this week, we're going to talk about how gay men have saved the world yet again, apparently. Um, and if you are a Californian parent, you should know that all your children are belong to the state. And also about women waking up to what trans really is and what they've been supporting, and they're not happy about what they're finding. Let's jump right into Gay Men Saving the World. <coughs> it, it's clown world, my friends. It is clown world. The kinds of things that I pull for this show that I talk about, I would have not believed were actually serious just five years ago. I would have been absolutely convinced you'd pulled them from a parody publication. I was going to say The Onion, but of course The Onion hasn't been fun for about eight to ten years since it went woke. Uh, so I would have said you pulled it from the Babylon Bee. This is The New York Times. Take a look at this headline. How Gay Men Saved Us from M-Pox. Mm, pox, 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 mm, pox. <laughs> M-Pox. You've never heard of that, have you? I know. I didn't either. It's just because it's not real. I'll let you know what it is. So this is by Ina Park and Dan Savage. And if you don't know who Dan Savage is, he's the longtime columnist for, uh, I don't know if he still is, uh, but he's been the longtime columnist for Seattle's alternative weekly newspaper called The Stranger, and he's been a sex columnist. So here we go. Mpox. Um, Mpox is monkeypox. And do you know why the New York Times is calling it Mpox and they're pretending that that's actually its word now, as you'll see later? Because it's racist to say the word monkey. I'm not joking. That's the actual reason. It's racist to black people to use the word monkey. I don't know what we're going to do when we talk about that particular kind of primate now. I suppose we simply are not allowed to talk about them. It made me wonder, is it racist like, um, like these figurines that I saw in the antique store the other day? Great Google it Mowgli. <laughs> you know, I almost bought those to save them from destruction because I, I'm, I'm, I'm shocked that the antique store in Vermont allowed these to be out there because I would not at all put it past someone in Vermont to come in and actually smash them. That's the kind of place I live in. All right. Here's another image from the story, and we will get to the story. The photo illustration shows, uh, for those of you who can't see the screen, the arms, the upper bared arms with their T-shirts pulled up to their shoulders of three men in a stylized uh, photo painting sort of thing with rainbow band-aids on and smirks. So you can just sort of feel the smug coming in. The, these are the gay men who saved us all. Let's talk about how they saved us. First quote from The New York Times. For weeks, the same awkward scene played out again and again in sexually transmitted infection clinics across the United States. 
Half-naked gay men stood with their pants around their ankles while clinicians crouched between their legs, swabs at the ready. Hmm. A little into it, Dan? Very descriptive. Next one. The clinicians were covered head to toe in hazmat chic gloves, face shields, and N95 respirators. The men were covered in something much worse. Painful lesions on their genitals, their anuses, and sometimes even their faces and limbs. Huh. Oh, I didn't have the right one here. It's, it's, it's just so dramatic. The part that I forgot to clip for you is where they go. Um, and these scenes played out. Oh, no, here they are. Oh, yeah, the scenes played out. I'm sorry, I did clip it. I just read it to you. I can't even keep track of my own script. Do you feel the drama? There were scenes, scenes that played out in sexually transmitted infection clinics across the country. That's another thing, STI. I remember when it used to be STD, and it just changed because disease was stigmatizing. It's just an infection, and anyone can have an infection. No, no, no one ever explained to me why the infection is not stigmatized like disease is. Don't ask questions. You're not supposed to ask questions. Back to Ina and Dan. It was July of 2022, just last summer, <laughs> and an, outbreaks of, an outbreak of M-pox, formerly known as monkeypox. No, no, not formerly known. You would like it to be formerly known. It's actually called monkeypox. Formerly known as monkeypox was in full swing. From a handful of cases in a few cities in early May, the outbreak surged to more than 16,000 cases in 75 countries and territories just two months later. It was terrifying. Oh, it was terrifying. Oh, Lord, it was terrifying. This isn't, this isn't an article. It's stage directions for you. You're supposed to find this terrifying. They said it. It was terrifying. Be terrified. 16,000 cases of a disease in 75 countries is what they call terrifying. Okay. In early May of 2022, M-Pox <laughs> found its way to gay raves in Spain and Belgium. Huge annual parties that draw men from all over the world. Clothing was scant, grinding was plentiful, and when the parties were over, everyone flew home. Within weeks, M-pox cases, I can't stop, M-pox, pox, pox, M-pox. <laughs> ah, M-pox cases resulting from human-to-human -human transmission, <laughs> yeah, as compared to what, human-to-doorknob? They began cropping up in cities worldwide. No, no. These aren't annual parties. They're not even really raves. What they are is orgies. Yeah, they're parties, but the purpose of them for gay men is orgies. That's what these raves are, where you have what they call chemsex. You get obliterated off your mind and screw a bunch of people you've never met before and never will again. Do you notice how gay sexual excess is normalized this way? It's not surprising to me coming from Dan Savage. He's a sex columnist and a gay man himself. But this is, this is the New York Times. First of all, they're telling us that this horrifying disease, which isn't at all horrifying because it was never a pandemic, 
uh, infected 16,000 people and it's supposed to really terrify everybody. And, you know, I remember looking at those pictures from New York City with dozens and dozens of gay men lined up um, on the street to get into vaccine clinics for this. And th this is the kind of behavior, and you'll see as I go through this, that the authors praise here, and they call it actually almost an act of heroism for the general public. That's, that's not what I saw when I was looking at that. I was looking at a bunch of men lining up, standing outside, wearing face masks outside in New York City because living in New York City melts your brain, um, to get vaccinated for this disease that they're not going to get unless they're being promiscuous and having anonymous sex all over the place. And we're supposed to consider that an act of heroism. I'm going to read some more to you. There's nothing uh, on your screen here. While the outbreak ended faster than many believed it would, it was far worse than it needed to be, representing both a public health triumph and a public health failure. Both health officials and the media failed to expediently warn and engage the gay community in the outbreak's crucial first weeks. When the first cases were reported among gay and bi men in the West, <coughs> health authorities and the media couldn't bring themselves to say the word gay. Yeah, that's because of you, Dan. To avoid stigmatizing gay and bi men, early reports buried the lead. The Associated Press didn't mention this outbreak was seen almost exclusively in gay men until 15 paragraphs into one report. Other reports didn't mention them at all. While this desire to avoid stigmatizing gay and bisexual men's was men was understandable, it wasn't helpful. We know gay sex has been unfairly blamed from everything from natural disasters to the fall of Rome. Stop it. Stop it. Stop it. This is not serious stuff. The wackadoodles who actually say ridiculous things like God is punishing Florida because they allow the gays and that's why you had a hurricane. Everyone knows that's ridiculous. That's not mainstream. It never has been mainstream. Gay men are not victims of being blamed for everything except by a minority of kooks. Stop ginning up victimhood. Ugh. But in their efforts to avoid stigmatizing community health authorities and the media failed to effectively warn gay and bi men. And unfortunately, stigma and discrimination found the community anyway. Gay, gay men with M-pox were turned away from urgent care clinics and emergency rooms. Phlebotomists refused to draw their blood, like its predecessors, COVID-19 and HIV-AIDS. Do you see how they put those together? COVID-19 and HIV-AIDS? M-pox had all the makings of a public health disaster, but it flopped at the box office, and that's what's upsetting you. You know what? I don't believe this. I don't believe it. I don't believe that gay men were turned away by phlebotomists. Maybe that happened one or two times. Do I think that this happened more than one or two times? Absolutely not. I think that's, I don't think that's true. Um, and I don't believe they were turned away from urgent care clinics for being gay either. I don't. Nope. I don't think anybody should believe this. I don't believe any of this nonsense. Jussie Smollett put an end to all of this. There were a lot of people who were already suspicious of these alleged hate crimes, and I was one of them. I didn't believe that most of them occurred, but after that, I don't believe any of these claims. This is about an external locus of control. Again, health authorities failed gay men, he says. Gay men couldn't protect themselves. That's a quote. They couldn't protect themselves. Nonsense. Gay men have failed themselves with the help of apologists like Dan Savage. 
Gay men are hedonistic and promiscuous. They always have been. We slept our way. We promiscuoused our way into the AIDS crisis, and a lot of us ended up dying because of our own actions. Yet we blamed it on the government and discrimination. It wasn't the government and discrimination that made us do what we did. It wasn't. A little more from the article. But while health officials and journalists hesitated, gay and bi men sprang into action. <laughs> Young men with lesions covering their faces took to social and mainstream media, telling the public they were dealing with, quote, the worst pain I've experienced in my life, and perhaps the most telling, I'd rather have COVID. Wah, wah. Benjamin Ryan, a gay journalist, and Carlton Thomas, a gay doctor, risked cancellation, e.g. being yelled at on Twitter, Dan says, to dish out what Dr. Thomas referred to as tough love advice for the community, slam the brakes on sex outside committed relationships, seek immediate medical care, get vaccinated as soon as possible, and the gay community listened. <coughs> How did they listen? Wow. This, this is where we get into the part where we saved the world. Quote, gay party promoters canceled long planned events and individual gay men temporarily deleted hookup apps from their phones and reduced their sexual contacts. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention verified these shifts in behavior, reporting that half of gay men surveyed reduced their number of sex partners, one time sexual encounters and use of dating apps during the outbreak. Well, look at that amazing self-control. They temporarily reduced sleeping around and temporarily just deleted those apps off their phone. Clap, clap, clap. And you know what? Party promoters canceled long planned events. That's serious. That's commitment. <laughs> But how are they saving everyone? How are gay men? I mean, we can see how heroic gay men are being to themselves, but how heroic are they being to all of us? Quote, communications teams at the CDC made great strides during this time. They acknowledged the realities of gay sexuality and its breadth of expression using the actual language gay men use when discussing sex with each other. The words fetish gear appeared on a CDC website for the first time. The clinical term anus became the more user-friendly butthole. And instead of public sex environments, the CDC spoke more frankly about back rooms and sex parties and the risk of contracting M-pox in those spaces. So now spaces, the gay male M-pox spaces. So normalizing vulgar sex terms is making great strides. It, you know, it reminds me, it reminds me of a phrase from one of those guides for how you're supposed to talk to trans people if you're at one of these gender clinics. Don't use terms like vagina and anus. Uh, there was one sentence that said, we prefer the term front hole. These are the word. And I'm saying it like this because it's written like this, like a five-year-old wrote it. These are the words we use to talk about our bodies. Oh, my God. Butthole? How dignified. What, what great strides. Back to the article. Quote, so while an early and, frank, and frankly honest public health response could have blunted the outbreak. No. I'm sorry. I'm breaking in. No, Dan and Ina. No. What could have blunted the outbreak would have been men acting like grownups and closing their legs. That's what would have blunted it, not, not public health, okay? 
This would have resulted in far fewer cases and far less suffering. The swift collective action of gay and bi men prevented catastrophe. <clears throat> if the broader American public had responded to the threat of COVID-19 the way gay and bi men responded to the threat of MPOX, we might have seen fewer cases. <sighs> they can't even stick to their own point here. They want to say that <clears throat> gay and bi men saved the world, but we didn't listen enough and we didn't allow ourselves to be saved and the public health officials didn't do all the things. They didn't do the superhero things that the gay and bi men did. What is the point of this? What is the point of this? And to the to the heterosexual majority who are listening to the show, because statistically it, it, it's, it's got to be the case. Do you think that these gay men saved you from monkeypox? Do you feel protected? How did their actions save or protect you or what we call public health generally? This is another exercise in not just the normalization, but the beatification, beatification of degeneracy. They're creating actual saint figures out of sluts. That's what they're doing. That's what queer does. That's what, that's what it's been doing for a long time in ways that I was blind to when I was a younger man and also promiscuous and hedonistic and also believed that getting off anywhere I wanted, any time I wanted without consequences was just a glorious life. You know, it was freedom. This is what everybody deserved. And I remember, remember having several conversations about this with my good friend George, who's been on the show before. We went to college together. We read a lot of the same books. One of them was Fear of a Queer Planet. I can still see it in the top drawer of my dorm room um, book drawer. Collection of essays about how queer people, because I was being used even back then. This was uh, early to mid-90s. This is not new. Um, their liberated and self-accepting view of sexuality was supposed to be a model for the rest of the world. And the reason why people didn't want to see sex out on the streets why they didn't want their children exposed to what, what are today, you know, lewd, stripping, drag shows, any of these things. The reason that people didn't want that was not because <coughs> it was appropriate to have boundaries. <coughs> Pardon me, I'm sorry. Week four of getting rid of the remainder of the cold. Um, it's time for a break. Let me sort my froggy throat out. I'll see you on the other side. Can't get enough of our love, baby? That's because you're not subscribed. Move that thumb over to the great big old subscribe button on your podcast app so you never miss an episode. We put out audio-only exclusive content that you won't get on any other video platform, so make sure you subscribe today. Looking for a non-woke place to put your money where your mouth is? Put it where my mouth is. Disaffected supporters get access to our private Discord chat server, backstage episode recording sessions, surprise guests, and more. And all it takes is $10 a month. You've got two options. 
either Substack, visit us at disaffectedpod.substack.com or go over to subscribestar.com slash disaffected. Remember, choose the $10 level or higher for Discord access. Welcome back. Thank you for putting up with the coughing. I'm going to try not to do it very much. And then somebody said something really nice to me last week uh, during the live stream. I don't remember who you are, but but somebody said, don't apologize for being sick. You didn't do anything wrong. That's nice. Thank you. But I do realize that it doesn't make for good audio and it doesn't make for good video. And it's obnoxious to have somebody coughing in there. So I feel bad when I when I can't get the presentation right. So um, thank you for understanding. I'm going to talk about Megyn Kelly, um, and I'm going to do a little bit of uh, behind-the-scenes stuff. Kevin, although you don't know it, our timer for this segment has not been started yet, so if you want me to stick to a reasonable time, <laughs> he just started it. <laughs> Megyn Kelly, um, and I was talking about her with Kevin before the break. He refreshed me because I didn't quite remember where she came from. I didn't know much about her until I started noticing her and listening to uh, some of her podcasts over the past year. But I do recall now that she was at Fox News for a long time, had a talk show there. And then I guess she went over to NBC for a little while, and that only lasted a few months. Um, I like the I like the show that I'm that I'm hearing from her. Um, she strikes me as honest and able and willing to change her mind about things. And this is an example. It looks to me like Megyn Kelly is getting to what people call peak trans. She's, she's getting to the end of her rope with the trans ideology. And we're going to play, I think, three or four clips from her show because it's a nice encapsulation of the thought process and the change of mind that happens for a lot of people when they begin from a, a place of sympathy and, and what they feel is compassion, and then they begin to see that things are different than they appeared. So let's listen to um, the first one. Be one, please, Kevin. This whole journey, very compassionate towards the trans community. I had a trans person in my family. I wound up marrying Doug, who has a trans person in his family. Um, and I saw the bullying and I saw how tough it was. And this person went through it in my family before it was a thing, before it was okay, you know, when it was still yeah. very stigmatized. Had nothing but compassion. I feel differently now. I feel like it's gone too far. It's eroding reality, biology. They're getting rid of male or female on birth certificates. Doctors in the hospital are not allowed to ask whether you're a man or a woman, or tell their pay, their residents, 42-year-old male, that you're not allowed to say that. It's considered offensive. We can't say breastfeed. That's, a, that's offensive. Right? You mm. can say chest feed. People with vaginas as opposed to women. Not to mention the parodies of us by people like Dylan and others. These people who are all over TikTok more and more saying, what's normal is trans. Cis, cis, which means biological man or woman. That's what's abnormal your parents slapping some label on you that may or may not have. What's normal is the freedom of being a trans person and choosing. No, wrong. I've got thousands of years of biology on my side. So I am less and less compassionate by the day. And it seems like that, that make me even more so. 
I think Megan was talking about what happened to uh, collegiate swimmer Riley Gaines, uh, who went to speak out against allowing men to swim on female sports teams and for her trouble was chased down a hallway by a number of screaming trans activists, male and female, not just men. I think it was men who hit her, but it was women who were screaming transphobic bitch at her as well. And then they locked her. They barricaded her in a room for three hours that she couldn't get out of. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to point out some things here as we as we go through uh, clips from Megan. And none of these, if if I were able to talk to her, I wouldn't be saying, Megan, you should, you know, blah, 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 blah. I think she's she's coming to realizations. Uh, but I do want to add a few things that I that I think are are going to be realizations that will need to come for somebody like Megan, too. I think it is it was always too far. It's not that trans started out OK and then it went too far. The very idea of itself right out of the gate was too far because it isn't true. It's extreme. The very idea of transgender or what we call transsexualism is itself extreme and ridiculous. The very proposition that there are people who are born in the wrong body is ridiculous. It doesn't even make sense. It doesn't, you can't make it make sense in any way. It doesn't even make sense as a word game. The idea that the only way to bring contentment or happiness or health, which is what they claim now, to people who are suffering psychologically from a feeling of, a, of uh, not fitting in. Um, and I, I don't believe that most of these people actually have something that people call body dysmorphia, right? Where they, where they, ha they have the, that really severe psychological syndrome where their body actually repels and disgusts them. They're, these things live on a spectrum. You can have mild sort of anxiety about your body, the way you look. You can go all the way up to, to just that really extreme place. I don't think there are many people who are actually in that extreme place. That does exist. We've seen people who do suffer that way. But I don't think that's most of these people. I think they've ginned it up in their head to make to, to convince themselves because this is a socially available way, especially for young women. This is a socially available and socially sanctioned way of expressing psychological distress and believing that you're going to get relief from it. It's, it's a Pied Piper. You're following a Pied Piper to hell, but that's where it is. But I think it's always gone too far. Um, compassion, too. What does compassion mean? Megan says, I'm feeling less compassion. I understand what she means. I've said the same thing myself, but I think it's worth asking, what does that mean specifically? I don't think compassion means do anything you want all the time and I will tearfully support you and say positive things no matter what it is that you're doing. That's not compassion. That's not what that word means. That's being a flying monkey. That's being an enabler. Some people describe it as codependent, but it is not compassion. Compassion is, as I try to come up with a synopsis definition right off the top of my head. Compassion is, if you want to describe it as an act of caring, a genuine caring for somebody, it is taking an action for what you believe is their health and their um, 
what is the word I'm looking? Why can't I make these words happen? <laughs> I have a talk show and I can't make words happen. Um, if you believe that you want to work in a friend's best interests, sometimes compassion means telling them things that are uncomfortable that they don't want to hear. I've recently been told one of those things myself, and that was actually an act of compassion, even though it was not something that I would have wanted to hear just for the sake of my feelings, right? Compassion can be a lot of things, but it's not enabling. Um, let's listen to the next clip from Megan. Why have we lionized all these men who masquerade as women? They declare themselves trans. They come over into our lane like Dylan Mulvaney. And women just allow it. And it never happens the other way. So forget, even take sports out of it, right? Like women who transition to male. Yes, Chaz Bono went on Dancing with the Stars, did a little stint, and that was done. But you can't really name anyone other than that who's transitioned the other way and been totally lionized by men and had brand sponsorships showered upon them the way we see every day with this Dylan Mulvaney. So why do women allow it? The thing with Dylan Mulvaney has crossed over into minstrelsy, right? Is that the word? It's now a minstrel show by a man masquerading as a woman, and we are allowing it and even cheering it. Again, I'm, I'm going to add a few things. I, I'm not trying to pick nits with Megan. I see that she, she is waking up to this. this is the, I went through this exact same process. I would have said exactly the same things. As it becomes more clear, I think these other things will become more clear as well. <clears throat> what she said there at the end, why are women allowing this, not just allowing it, cheering for it? That's where it's at. That's what's really happening here. Contra Megan, it's not men who are lionizing these men. I, I understand why it looks that way. And when you're looking at particular instances, like when Kelly J. Keene was surrounded by that screaming mob in New Zealand that almost really did almost kill her. Um, you know, the, the aggressors are men. The biggest physical aggressors are men almost always. Not always, though, as we see these days. But this isn't. It's not men lionizing this. It's women. Women are the ones doing the brand sponsorship. You want to talk about Dylan Mulvaney, uh, who's had his partnership with Bud Light and got his face on a can after he got facial feminization surgery? That was a woman who did that. That was a woman brand executive. She bragged about it. She bragged about it on a podcast. She, she, she mocked and derided the customer base of Bud Light. She called it fratty and fratty as in frat boyish and out of touch. And she said, if Bud Light is going to have any future, it has to be a more inclusive brand. She was clearly saying these horrible frat boys have to go, even though they're the only ones keeping Bud Light at 13% market share. Um, but Megan, it's your girls. It's, it's your girls doing this. It's not mostly men. Um, it's women lionizing a small number of dangerous and clinically narcissistic men who call themselves trans women, and they are dangerous, and they do need to be dealt with. Um, but it's not us men who've been pushing that up front. Another from Megan. It's so illuminating to me because we learned this with Leah Thomas, and you went to watch Leah Thomas swim at one of these NCAA yes. uh, tournaments. Good for you. 
because this is, you've made this your business and it's been very illuminating. Leah Thomas, we now know, thanks to the Daily Wire's reporting, has autogynephilia, where you get off, you're turned on as a man by dressing as a woman. It arouses you. That's not trans. That's not, you know, from two, I knew I was born in the wrong body. That's like a sexual fetish. It's a kink. And Leah Thomas should have been nowhere near those female swimmers getting off while in his women's bathing suit, crushing them in the pool lane. But it seems like a fair percentage of these so-called trans people are actually working out their sexual kink on us. It seems that way because it is that way. I'm really glad to see this. I'm really glad to see that she's seeing it. What is surprising to her right now, what she's only learning right now in 2023, many of us have known for five or six years. So it, it's it's not that everyone is just learning it. Um, it's that it's finally breaking into the mainstream. Um, we're going to end with the last one from Megan here. Um, it's kind of a rallying cry. We don't find our voices and start speaking up against this nonsense. We can kiss every woman's face goodbye. We can kiss women's rights goodbye. We can kiss sororities goodbye. We can take off our tops and our underwear and do our yoga in front of perverted men who just want to get off watching us till the cows come home. Stick your daughter in the sorority. Let them at her. Find your voices, ladies, and the men who support us. Otherwise, this is our future. I'm sorry. I'm done. I'm done. I don't want to deal with this shit at, at Tridelt, at Kappa Kappa Gamma, in the women's locker room. You can be supportive of trans people and what they're going through without surrendering to this madness. Amen. Amen, Megan. Absolutely amen. Kevin, we're going to skip over this next uh, little one here. It's not. Um, no, actually, we're not going to skip over it. I will do a little bit on it. Um, Stephen King. Oh, Stephen King was my favorite horror writer. I started reading his books at 12 years old. I wasn't allowed to, but I, I snuck him anyway. Uh, and I really love his stuff from the 70s and 80s. He captures, um, he captures what the late 70s and early 80s actually felt like to me as a child in a, a bottom rung class family. Um, in the Northeast, um, really liked his stuff, but he's become kind of he's become a, a liberal version of Archie Bunker on Twitter, nattering on about everybody has to protect the trans kids, the Dread Republicans who are going to kill everybody. I don't know if it's past long-term drug abuse, alcohol abuse on his part, old age, or uh, you know he changed after uh, that car accident. But he's often a mess, and it's painful to watch. And his latest thing was carping on. Twitter about the fact that he didn't want to pay $10 for his verified blue check that Elon is now, Elon Musk is now requiring. Just on and on, and they should be paying me and all this free content I bring to Twitter. And then this happens. Take a look at your screen. Tweet from Stephen King that says, because he got his blue check back and he doesn't know why. And he says, my Twitter account says I've subscribed to Twitter Blue. I haven't. My Twitter account says I've given a phone number. I haven't. And Elon Musk comes in and says, you're welcome. Namaste. <laughs> what are you going to do with that, King? <laughs> All right. Last part of this segment before we take a break. I almost got killed in a car accident this week. And I'm not saying that rhetorically. I'm not exaggerating. I came really close to an accident that would have been a T-bone. 
And what disturbs me about this, I wrote about it on Substack, what disturbs me more, I think, than the incident is the fact of how little it is juicing my adrenaline anymore. Because it's this kind of behavior has become a four or five times a week encounter that I have on the road. I live in a I live in old New England. My my town is six thousand people. Even Burlington, which is directly next door, just across the street, you know, you walk across the bridge and suddenly it's Burlington, not my town anymore. Even at 40,000 people, Burlington is just a large, small town. There's nothing actually urban about anywhere in this state. And it didn't used to be this way, but it has become so dangerous to drive now. Let me tell you what happened. I'm driving up Main Street in my town. I'm uh, Imagine that I'm, imagine an XY axis, a cross, right? A line drawing and imagine me on the south end driving north. And then imagine on the east end that comes in perpendicularly, somebody wants to pull out onto that thoroughfare that I'm going forward on. Um, speed limit there is 25 miles an hour. I was probably traveling 27, 28 miles an hour. So I was going two, uh, two or three miles over the speed limit, but nowhere near anywhere dangerous. I, and I was going with the flow of prevailing traffic. A woman in a large SUV, full-size SUV, pulls out right in front of me. And I don't mean she cut it a little close. I mean panic. I jammed both feet down on the brakes. It was the kind of hard stop that in the days before anti-lock braking, you would have heard loud tire screeching. Have you noticed that, by the way? Um, I, I know many of you probably don't remember that you don't know that car brakes used to be different, but before 20 years ago or so, not every car had anti-lock brakes. You don't hear that anymore. It's, it's weird. I've actually heard accidents happening outside of my window where I hear the cars crunch together, and it's not preceded by screeching tires. It's, it's, it's a weird thing to get used to. Digression. Um, so, you know, I, I came within a few feet of hitting her. You know, she was wrong. I had the right of way. I wasn't doing anything wrong. She didn't have the right to do what she did. It was both illegal and it was dangerous to her, dangerous to me, and dangerous to everyone else. It was absolutely clear. She was in the wrong. So I, I'm stopped there in the middle of the road and I took about two seconds to collect myself because I had that initial jolt, right? I mean, my adrenaline goes, but it, it goes quickly away because I'm like, well, this happens every day now. And in that couple of seconds that I'm taking to collect myself, get ready to go on again, as she, she starts up and she slows down and she rolls her window down at me. And as she's driving by, she sticks her head out the window and she starts screaming at me, you stupid motherfucking asshole, you goddamn bastard. I, I couldn't understand most of the things that she was saying. It was obscenities and, and, and foul names. What's going on? This, this woman who was clearly in the wrong, she almost got herself hurt. It's not just that she, um, I, I see that she didn't care. I see that she doesn't care about other people. She would have been okay if she'd killed me. I accept that. But she could, she was just as likely to die as I was. And she, she doesn't even seem to care about that. Why is she rolling down the window and screaming obscenities at me and calling me a motherfucking asshole and a bastard for, for what she did. Well, I know the reason. I know the reason. This is narcissistic behavior. It's been normalized. The idea now on the road is, it's mine. It mine. Give me all this road. It mine. 
And it's taken over so much that people don't even have a sense of self-preservation. That's what scares me even more. It's hard. I got to I got to tell you. I'm having a hard time lately. I'm having a really hard time keeping my temper and and feeling reasonable day to day because these provocations are happening everywhere. This is why I talk about what happens when we abandon etiquette, quote unquote, small things, walk to the right. If you, if you cut in front of somebody in a tight grocery store aisle, you say, excuse me, or please pardon me, right? You don't cut in line. These things are going away. People are just taking the right of way, whether they're on foot, whether they're, you know, these are not little behaviors. Etiquette's not a little thing. It's not a small optional thing. And it's not about fancy forks. It's not about frou-frou. It's about how to live. It's, it's about how to live in a society. And what's at stake if we let this go is actually a livable society. And I don't know what to do about it. I can't accommodate myself to this. I can't. I won't do it. There's no way for me to make it okay. I can't feel okay about having to dodge crazy people for my life every single time I leave my house to go one and a half miles to the grocery store. And by the way, what did this woman look like? Between 55 and 60, morbidly obese, hard, short, frowsy gray hair, those glasses, problem glasses, and a florid, puffy, red, alcoholic-looking face as she's screaming at me. She was probably drunk. All right, come back and we'll finish the show. Can't get enough of our love, baby? That's because you're not subscribed. Move that thumb over to the great big old subscribe button on your podcast app so you never miss an episode. We put out audio-only exclusive content that you won't get on any other video platform, so make sure you subscribe today. Looking for a non-woke place to put your money where your mouth is? Put it where my mouth is. Disaffected supporters get access to our private Discord chat server, backstage episode recording sessions, surprise guests, and more. And all it takes is $10 a month. You've got two options. Either Substack, visit us at disaffectedpod.substack.com, or go over to subscribestar.com slash disaffected. Remember, choose the $10 level or higher for Discord access. Welcome back. A little bit of housekeeping first. About last week's show, Kevin, start my timer, please. Thank you, sir. Um, about last week's show, the reason why we went live was because we found out that the show we taped the day before on Saturday had uh, the audio had gotten corrupted, and poor Kevin, there was nothing he could do to uh, sort of rescue it, so we just decided to do it live. Uh, thank you for watching. It's not on YouTube right now. It will come back. The reason why it's not on is we, we realized when I was setting up the, uh, the live stream, what I didn't know was that and about an hour and 45 minutes before the show went live, we were broadcasting color bars and Kevin and me on microphones talking about behind the scenes stuff and probably bitching about things in a way that we didn't want anybody else to hear. So we're going to put it back up when we get it cleaned up. 
Um, another thing, we're having our second watch party for supporters and subscribers of the show. Thank you very much. We're watching the miniseries Feud, Betty and Joan, that stars Jessica Lange and Susan Sarandon as Betty Davis and Joan Crawford. Next one, episode two, is taking place this upcoming Thursday, April 27th at 5 p.m. U.S. Eastern Time. Let me repeat that. Tip. Do the conversion in your head right now while you hear me speak this. Convert it to your own time zone. It will probably save you from missing it because someone always misses it. 5 p.m. Eastern United States time, Thursday, April 27th. I was going to say December, December 27th. Um, and this is open to uh, paying, supporting members. Um, and there's two ways to do that. If you'd like to join us, we would love to have you. Uh, you can subscribe by going to our Substack, disaffectedpod.substack.com. And if you do that, uh, you get our premium written content as well. And anybody who joins at the $10 level or higher also gets access to our chat discord for the show. Uh, if you don't like Substack, go to Subscribestar, subscribestar.com slash disaffected. All right. We're going to talk about how far it's going with so-called trans kids. And we're going to keep talking about this sort of stuff until it stops. I don't know when it's going to stop, but to me, this is one of the worst, one of the most egregious cases of, of societally endorsed abuse. And I'm not going to let it go. We've talked about the trans sanctuary state bills that have happened in places like Minnesota. Um, Vermont, I don't think it's law yet, but it will certainly be signed into law here, I'm sure. And other states, the, the trans sanctuary state laws are doing a couple of things. They are legalizing parental kidnapping and they're legalizing the surgical and chemical mutilation of children. How are they doing this? Because these laws instruct courts. I'll use Vermont as an example, but this applies in any other state that has a similar law, and the liberal states are starting to, to all come on this bandwagon. Senate Bill 37 in Vermont, which will become law soon, instructs that... All right, let me, let me back into it a different way. I'll use the example I used the first time I talked about it. Imagine an imaginary family. Bob and Jane are married. Billy is their 10-year-old son. Bob, Jane, and Billy live in Utah. Utah is one of the states where they have outlawed so-called gender-affirming care for kids. That is surgical mutilation. It's not legal there. Let's say that Bob and Jane are getting divorced and Jane wants to trans Billy, but Bob does not. So they're in custody court. Jane decides to take her vacation to Vermont with Billy. She brings Billy into the state of Vermont. She starts the transition process. Under Vermont's law, Vermont courts, cops, and social workers will not be allowed to cooperate with a legal court order from Utah or any other state. No arrest warrants, no extradition orders, no custody orders. As a reminder, that's unconstitutional. It's not a gray area of constitutional law. It's directly and obviously unconstitutional because it violates 
Article 4, Section 1, the Full Faith and Credit Clause, which says that all states must respect the judicial acts and proceedings of every other state. This is how the United States works. It's always worked this way. You have benefited from it working this way. I have. This is not weird or new. This is the baseline. That's how extreme this is. They're writing bills right out in the open that directly violate Article 4 of the Constitution. They don't care. Not only that, but in states like Vermont, they're creating a, a, what's called a private right of action. That's when you give a person under the law the right to sue specifically for a crime. So if Bob, remember Bob doesn't want to trans Billy, but his, his soon-to-be ex-wife Jane does, if Bob tries to stop this and takes Jane to court, takes her to civil court to stop it, Bob's act of taking her to court to protect his child, Vermont defines as, quote, abusive litigation. Abusive litigation. Jane has the right to sue Bob for doing something to her. And what's the thing that Bob did to her that she gets to sue over? He tried to stop her from hurting their kid. That's how perverse this is. I know it sounds like this can't possibly be real, but I promise you that it is. If you read these bills, you'll come to the same conclusions that I have. It is real. It's going further in California, naturally. It's not enough anymore just to make the state friendly for kidnappers. The state wants your children in California, and the state is going to have your children. If you won't voluntarily do this, the state will simply take them. I'm not exaggerating. We're going to talk about, oh my goodness, Assembly Bill 665. This information comes from a really great substack I just discovered. The writer is Chris Bray, B as in boy, R-A-Y, Chris Bray, and this article is urgent California goes full Jonestown. Yes, we will, uh, we will link this in the show notes that appear below this video. Quote, Assembly Bill 665, which would expand the population of minors who can receive mental health treatment without parental consent, including treatment in residential care facilities, which means the forced removal of children from their families despite the absence of abuse or neglect, has advanced through the California Assembly and now awaits action in the Senate. That's right. If a therapist in California believes that your child will do better outside of your home, that therapist controls, not you, the parent, under this law. Therapist decides. You don't. You don't get to say no. You can beg, but you don't get to say no. The state owns your child. Let that sink in. And it's not just California. This is going to happen in other states. If you're in a liberal or a blue state, please keep your eyes open. Chris Bray shows us a video of one. I believe she's one of the bill's sponsors. She's certainly one of the supporters. She's Assemblywoman Blanca Rubio, a Democrat, naturally. Here she is explaining the bill or Medi-Cal, um, as a mother of a 16 and 14 year old and a former teacher, well, as a teacher, I can tell you that I am, uh, as a parent, I'm not equipped. Um, as a teacher, I am not equipped to give mental health uh, or to provide mental health services for my children, even though I am a trained teacher. Um, I understand, you know, the reluctance of, of the children making their own decisions, but I, as a mother, have raised my children. And I think I'm raising them to make their own decisions. And if, some, if they're having a, 
a crisis, I trust them to to be able to go to talk to somebody. Uh, again, most children don't talk to their parents, so if there's somebody that they can talk to, I prefer that rather than not having any services at all. And so again, this is already happening with private insurance. This is only. That's really disturbing. And I suspect she actually believes what she's saying. I can't know that, but I think she believes it. It's extraordinarily warped. This is what she believes. <clears throat> Notice what's happening here. This is about children consenting to mental health services, which is going to include trans-affirming care. They're making this about children consenting. Children can consent to services they're normalizing the idea that children are miniature adults and that their judgment is primary, not their parents. But their judgment is primary as long as the child's judgment and consent is what the state wants them to consent to. But it is not normal. It's not real and it's not sane. Did you hear her? I think I've raised my children to make their own decisions. She really believes this. She believes that this is normal that children shouldn't be guided, shouldn't be told no, they should make their own decisions. This, I, it's very frustrating to me. I, I don't understand how so many people have accepted this overnight. Culturally, this happened just overnight. I know it didn't really. I do know that we've had decades of helicopter parenting and, and different war parents. I know, I acknowledge, okay? But we did jump. We made a jump over the past two years where all of a sudden people think it's normal. Like, my kid knows best for my kid. That's not normal. Don't make it normal. Don't accept it. And the idea, and listen, as she says, I'm a trained teacher. I'm a mother. I think I've raised my children to do these things. But kids don't talk to their parents, she says. Again, as if that were normal. Most children don't talk to their parents. That's a direct quote. No, Blanca, no. That's not normal. If that's what's going on in your home, something is wrong in your home. Something's wrong with your parenting. Yes, that's not normal. It's also not normal for this many teens to be seeking professional mental health help. Does any of this sound to you like a world that you remember from the recent past at all? I think this is connected to a cultural shift that happened post-World War II. I think the very idea of teenagehood, teenagers, that idea is a story, a commercial story it's not a real state of being a, a human adolescent, what we call teenagers. I don't believe it's real. It's not part of human nature. It's a commercial story that was created in the 1950s, rebel without a cause, right? Man, don't listen to the man. It, it worsened in the 60s, but it started in the post-war material consumption, baby boom, uh, glory years of the 1950s in this country, the idea that Children cross over into something called teenagehood where they all rebel against their parents. They all become more sexual. They all become more vulgar. It's completely normal. And it's normal for them to hate their parents and say, shut up, daddy-o. No, that did not occur before the 1950s. 
yes, obviously. Adolescents have always been hormonal. They're always going to get stroppy. It is a difficult time of life, always has been, no matter what era you're living in. But this idea of it's being normal for teenagers to not talk to their parents, to lie to them, to mock them, to be unsafe around them, this is not normal. It's a commercial creation. I don't believe in the teenager the way most Americans do. I used to. I don't believe it now. That's, this is the extreme end. This is the extreme outcome of that seed that was planted a long time ago. We need a serious reassessment of what we think childhood is. Um, you want to be even more disturbed? Listen to social worker and also a bill supporter, California Assemblyman Corey Jackson. Ms. Bonta and Assemblymember Jackson, you're recognized. Thank you very much, uh, Mr. Speaker. You know, uh, as a social worker, I can't tell you how important this bill is. I can't tell you how important and how complicated the families of this state are. Many of us come from communities in which has a large stigma when it comes to mental health. And when it's a professional deems that it would be necessary, and certainly if a young person knows that they need additional support than what their family can give them, it is critical that they get the help that they need. We can also not forget about various, various families within our state and throughout this nation, who in many cases are not living in very safe environments. And in many cases, this, these mental health issues originate from the family situations. So this is not just something that we can continue with this talking points and this narrative about parents' rights. Let's just talk about saving lives. Again, not normal, not normal. This is not about saving lives. He's proposing that the default assumption is the default assumption, the one we go to first, is that the families are unsafe. That's the default assumption. It's a reversal. Reversal. No. Most families are not abusive. The default assumption should be most families are not abusive. The default assumption should not be that the state has the right to children. No. Parents, you need to fight this. You need to fight this. If you don't fight this now, before it takes over, it is going to take over. You have to do this if you care. Uh, I, I'm going to leave that there. And we're coming to the end of the show. But I want to show you the little block I call female cluster bee in the wild. So I write over on Substack, and Substack is a better place than Twitter. But unfortunately, there's, there's a little bit of Twitterfication going on there. They've got a new feature called Notes, which I'm going to have to keep myself off of more than I have this past week uh, because it's too Twitter-like, and that's bad for me, and I'm bad for it. But it started up a conversation. There seemed to be an influx of women uh, from Twitter and from social media where they've been getting what they want, and they're screaming and belly aching at the management team at Substack. Why won't you moderate hate content? Why won't you moderate misogyny? I'm being abused. I'm being abused. They're coming over and doing their victim dance. Well, one of them is a woman named Chandra Hardy. Uh, Let's introduce her. So this is the front of her Substack. 
what she calls a civil rights power couple. For those of you who are listening and not watching, let's let's Kevin, can we let's go to the next one with her face in even more close up. She's giving us a like a three quarter profile with side eye. The side eye is looking into the camera. This 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 is a predator's face. This is a social predator's face. You don't need to know anything other than this picture to know that. This is chosen. She cho- she took this picture herself. She chose this as the picture to advertise herself. Smirk on the lips, smirk in the eyes, side eyes, problem glasses, right? Judge this human book by the cover that she consciously designed and she designed it to communicate something to you. Pick up on her communication. That's a predator. Um, she's living on the glory days of her grandparents as, as a, a couple fighting for civil rights, I think. Um, her entire substack is a litany of articles about how white people, but especially white men, are devils and raping devils. So I, a couple of screen grabs. The n- number one here, headline, 1630, freed Elizabeth Key Grinstead and white, dead, white deadbeat fathers. Uh, next one, Charter of Freedoms and Exemptions, Anti-Semitism, Misogyny, and Racism on Substack Notes. Next one. Or do we have a next one? Yeah, we do. The first black woman slaves in New Amsterdam and bodily autonomy and, and more about femicide and slavery. This white woman is, is really hung up on slavery. Here's what she's up to. Um, she made herself known because there's a guy who blogs under the name Yuri Bezmenov. That was a famous Soviet defector in the 1980s who tried to warn the United States about communist takeover. This guy blogs under his name. He's anti-woke. He just wrote a, a post. Uh, Thank you to the readers who've, who've shared his story about protecting free speech. And Chandra jumps in and says this. White supremacy and misogyny masquerading as free speech. Is this free speech because you aren't the targets but the ones doing the harassing and defaming? False and defamatory accusations that I murdered my very alive children. Inquiries about my reproductive and sexual history. Sexual harassment including rape fantasies and references to my genitalia and suggestions that I should euphemize myself. She's been victimed. She's been real victimed. Um, So I responded to her. And I said, you're lying about being victimized. You're just a liar and a narcissist. Now, I hadn't seen her picture at first before I said that. And I thought she must be black uh, because she was going on and on about how her family was involved in civil rights and stuff. But stupid me. Of course, she's not black. Of course, she's white. I should have known. She's Robin D'Angelo. That's her type. (laughs) So the next one we've got here is... um, Then she started uh, posting my responses to to victim herself. Um, She says, white men continue to attempt to diagnose women from behind a screen without any credentials or expertise to do so. He's definitely not sorry that he repeatedly scapegoated black women without doing any due diligence to verify that I'm white. And that's not racist. (laughs) <laughs> There's so much more in that vein. She just went on and on. There are dozens and dozens and dozens of these aimed at me, aimed at other people. Uh, I am happy to report that the Substack, um, the Substack crowd is not falling for this. People are saying, this isn't Twitter. You're not going to get your way here. And it was glorious to watch so many people push back and be like, no, no, we don't actually care. You're not a victim. The gynecocracy is not going to work here. You're not going to mommy us. I hope it stays this way. Substack, please stay that way. All right, we're going to close up. 
And what we're going to do, we're doing something new this week. Popery de moquerie, you know, where I, I make fun of people's bullshit videos. We're going to start doing that on Rumble. So at the end of the show, we're going to remind you that it's a Rumble exclusive. And if you want to see Popery de moquerie, you're going to need to go over and look at us on Rumble. Yeah, we're trying to get you to look at us over there. Kevin, do we have one teaser, don't we, before we go to Rumble? Are you there with me? <laughs> Which one are we teasing? Um, oh, yeah, yeah, Jussie Jones and the Kitty Coffin. It sounds like a Nancy Drew mystery. Um, <laughs> so, what happened? Uh, um, Jesse Jones, Justin Jones, one of the two lawmakers who was temporarily expelled from the Tennessee legislature for uh, coming in and screaming in bullhorns during the session demanding gun control. This guy is a histrionic mess. He's the one who talks about expulsion. Let's talk about expulsion. Value Village, Al Sharpton. Check him out this week. To the people's house. You can walk with me, but He's trying to walk into the chamber carrying a child-sized right coffin. <laughs> He's being escorted. Can you hear all the cameras clicking in the background? He's got a sheriff's deputy by his side. He's being filmed just like by his own crew. Clickety-click, whir, whir, click. Fashion. Walk, walk, walk. Work. I'm a representative Work, mm. Okay, I think they're getting to the end of the hallway where he's going to stand uh, in his glory. Guys, watch out. Watch out. Oh. Look. Look. No, no white shoes after Labor Day, Justin. Okay, here he goes. Make way. Make way for the kitty coffin. <laughs> By the way, that's not that's not actually a coffin. That's a child-sized vault. It's a polystyrene box for the box that surrounds the coffin in the grave. Ask me how I know. Well, come on now. Oh, he's what he's doing the slow walk now. It's time for a Negro spiritual. He just waited to walk through the door. He waited to walk through an archway and told the photographers were there to take a picture. You cannot hold this elevator, Sergeant. You guys have let us go up there. This is against the state constitution. We have to go vote. I'm just coming in with these clergy who went up to the on the floor of the house. So please do not obstruct us from going up to do the people's business. Pose. You all wanted us to go up. Why are we not being allowed to go up? He, see, he's trying to take this coffin into the house floor. You can call the sergeant at arms, Mr. Bobby. We are coming to the house floor. He said, "We are coming to the house floor." No, you're not, Jesse. You're not. <laughs> he he didn't get to go to the house floor because the sergeant at arms, as soon as he saw him walking in with that coffin, he was like, "Nope." right back out. <laughs> That's the show. Join us on Rumble for Popuri du Mokori.